This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a show dedicated to answering your phone calls and taking questions about the Bible, questions about churches, questions about what's going on in your life, anything and everything. You need only to call us today. You can dial 210-340-9585. It's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. It's Friday. I always look forward to the weekends, Uh, all of us. Whether it's here at our church or where you're going to church, we get together with the body of believers. We get to use the gifts that God has given us. Uh, I pray that it is a wonderful weekend for you, wherever it is that you worship our Lord. Uh, For us tonight, I'm going to be teaching um, the third installment on the uh, full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about the belt of truth. And then on Sunday, I'm going to be finishing chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. It's really a study tonight. The application for us, anyway, is all about being single in a world. Okay, well, let me get to questions while we await your phone calls. The first one comes from Nancy. And she says, what does it mean in Second John when we're told not to welcome someone in our home if their teaching is false. Nancy, let me read the passage first, the verse. It's Second John chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your home or welcome him. And Nancy, the context there is really important. The context is itinerant preachers in the first century. Now remember that, especially in the ancient world, hospitality was a huge, huge deal. And so if somebody said they were a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they could go into any town. They would be welcomed into homes so they could stay. Sometimes they would be fed. Sometimes they would stay for much longer than they were warranted. In fact, the problem got so big that there's a, a ancient writing called the Didache. And and they actually had rules about these things to keep people from taking advantage of gullible or naive people. 
So that was the context. And what John is saying there is if you've got somebody coming into your city and he's proclaiming a gospel other than the one that I'm bringing you, well, he's a wolf. Don't let him into your home. Um, we don't have the same rules 2,000 years later of hospitality, but there is an important application for us. Um, let's assume that Jehovah's Witnesses are Mormons. Come and knock on your door. And if they would refuse to listen, you know, I, I'm all for evangelizing anybody who comes. But if a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and they won't listen to you explain to them who the real Jesus is, then it's unwise for you to, to let them stay in your home. You're just going to be exposed to bad doctrine. So that's all that's happening in Second John chapter 1, verse 10, Nancy. Hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for your question. Linda wants to know, is feminism incompatible with Christianity? Um, Linda, it is in the sense that um, our world has defined feminism as women being in competition with men or as, as women being um, um, completely equal in all aspects in terms of roles. Um, yeah, then it is incompatible with Christianity. Feminism um, is a fairly late thing in world history. And, um, you know, the, the greatest feminist that ever walked the face of the earth, Linda, was Jesus. But see, that's real feminism. Jesus is an equal opportunity employer. Jesus is an equal opportunity gift giver. Jesus is the only one in the ancient world that ever put women on the exact same footing as men. The culture sure didn't. It was Jesus who elevated the role of women, not just in the church, but in the world at all. That is feminism and what should be the goal of feminism. You know, our idea of feminism is that uh, we have to have equal numbers of women and equal numbers of men and equal opportunity in, in every field. Um, only Jesus does that. Now, what is incompatible with modern feminism and Christianity, Linda, is that modern day feminists don't want to uh, allow God, who should especially for professing Christians, he makes the rules. Um, we belong to him. We call him Lord. Uh, we were bought with a price. And if Jesus says, here's a role a woman can have and here's a role a man can have, then we have no right to argue. And I think our view of feminism uh, would indicate that in some fashion or form, we thank God is unfair, and certainly that's not the case. So, Linda, Jesus was the greatest feminist that ever walked the face of the earth. He gives gifts to everybody equally. And, in fact, the only thing that he um, prevents women from, uh, from doing is being the head either in their house, that's a man that, uh, or a male role, uh, that God has given, or in the Church of Jesus Christ. So that's the only real argument that a feminist, American feminist, would have against the Church. Well, I'm a woman. I can be a pastor. Why can't I have that one thing that I want? I always am reminded, Linda, of the uh, the one tree. 
in the Garden of Eden that God forbid Adam and Eve to eat from. And it's no coincidence that it was Eve who ate first, then she gave it to her husband. He ate willfully. Eve was deceived. Why wasn't enough for Adam and Eve? When God said, I've made all of these other trees, you can eat the fruit of all of them. It's, it's all yours except this one tree. Why is it that our human nature always wants that one thing that God said we can't have? And sadly, in the Christian world today, women want the one thing they can't have. God said leadership in the church is to be masculine, male. Doesn't mean that men are smarter, more spiritual. Doesn't mean that we're more gifted. It just means that God said, you can do this, but you can't do this. And if we call him Lord, we've got to agree with him. It's not an interpretation issue. It's not a cultural issue. The Bible cannot be more clear. And the mental gymnastics, the linguistic gymnastics that people have to go through to sort of find a way around it, to find that loophole. It's dishonest biblical scholarship. So, Linda, I don't know if I got to all the issues that you want, but women are on a completely equal basis with men in every way, except when God says a woman can do this or a woman can't do this. And only God in the ancient world did that. I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Raul. He says, do you think we can ever accomplish emptying ourselves to God's will the same as Jesus did? Um, Raul, no way. Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. Jesus didn't have a sin nature. Uh, our sin nature limits the experience we can have with the Holy Spirit. That's for sure. But no, we can't empty ourselves. I think it was D.L. Moody who said that he wanted to be the one man that God used because he was completely abandoned to him. He would sit up at night thinking about what God could do with the one man or the one woman that was completely and totally abandoned to God's will. And as he lay dying, he called out to God. He said, I wanted to know, Lord, what you would do with the one man who was completely abandoned to your will. And then honestly, Moody admitted, well, you're still looking for that man because I failed. So we'll know we can't empty ourselves as Jesus did. The degree to which we can empty ourselves matters a great deal. And the more we can seek his will, the more God can accomplish in us and through us? That's a good question, Raul, and it's something that we all ought to be doing um, to the best of our ability. Uh, And when I say our ability, uh, I mean by the power of His Spirit, which lives in in us and works powerfully through us. But uh, just just abandonment. We've got to die all day, every day. Jesus did that to the point He could say, I only do what pleases my Father and only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I hear my father do. I'd like to be able to think we could do that, uh, but we can't, not like he did. Let's go to Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? 
I'm blessed, Pastor Ron. I'm blessed. I pray that you're blessed. Uh, um, I want to ask first uh, for prayer uh, for my dad. He had a stroke the other night, and um, I found him on the ground. And uh, it was extremely difficult for me to see my dad in the condition that he was. Uh, he broke his elbow. And um, but thank God that the stroke wasn't as severe as it could have been. And I found him in time, and he wasn't in distress. The doctor said if I wouldn't have found him until morning, he probably would have died. So uh, he's in the hospital, but they're going to move him to a skilled nursing facility. So just keep my dad in prayer, and uh, I appreciate all of you house prayers. And Thank you. Um, uh, yes, and I do have a question. Um, as you know, you know I, I got to keep on going. I uh, there's a song that that we used to sing it when I was a kid in Spanish called "En las luchas y en las pruebas uh, tenemos que seguir caminando," which means in the good times and in the bad times, in the trials and the tribulations, we have to keep on going. Mm-hmm. And so. I keep on going. Um, in John 16, and um, this is where you know, you know, you know, John 16. This is where the rich man dies, and he goes to Hades. Um, uh, Hades. Ruben, uh, Ruben, let me stop you. you. You mean Luke 16? Luke 16. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Luke 16. No problem. The the the, 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 the rich man goes to Hades, and um, it, it, he. He sees uh, uh, up to heaven. Now, he calls for Abraham. Okay, my first question is, why does he call for Abraham? Why does he say, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to go, you know, tell my brothers. I heard for the for the, for the the water. Then he says, for my brothers. Um, and then he, he says that he had, that God had built this chasm. And I don't know what that is. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. C-H-A-S-M. Yes. Chasm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What is that? And number one, why was he in Hades? And what's the difference between Hades and hell? And who is Abraham? Who was he referring to? And I'm going to listen to you because I don't have the app. Okay, Ruben, thank you very much. And we'll be praying for your dad. Thank you for letting us have that opportunity. Ruben, Luke 16 is a real story. It's not a parable, as is often misunderstood. Uh, These are real people. Jesus introduced them at the beginning of the story. There was a rich man who lived luxuriously, um, and and there was uh, Lazarus, the poor beggar, uh, who just waited for the scraps uh, from the rich man. It's almost like we can see the the, the Lazarus going through the trash cans, you know, of the the rich man. Um, Hades is sort of a misnomer. The the Greek word is abuso. Uh, in the abyss. So this all occurs in the center of the earth. It's a real place. In the book of Revelation, there's an indication that there's a shaft from the earth that goes down into this place. So it's a real place and it's a place of torment. So when the rich man finds himself being tormented, he looks over across this chasm, and I'll talk about the chasm in a moment, but he looks over through over across this chasm And the reason he calls out for Abraham, Father Abraham, is because he sees Abraham over there in the other side of this abyss. 
And it's a place called paradise. Um, Jewish legend called it Abraham's bosom. It was a place where Abraham was said, according to Jewish legend, that Abraham guarded the gates of hell to make sure that no Jew ever entered in there. So uh, in the story, he refers to that theory that Jews had. And so he called out Father Abraham. It's one of the reasons we have to remember how Jewish Jesus's ministry really was. He was trying to make a story and communicate to Jews exactly the meaning, and that's how they would get it. So he says, um, um, let Lazarus come over. He, he could see Lazarus. It's one of the frightening things about this place in the center of the earth. Um, one could see the other. Each side could see the other. So those in paradise could see those being tormented. Those being tormented could see the Jews who were righteous by faith. They could see them enjoying paradise. And so he called out Father Abraham, and he was told, no, he can't go to you, nor can you come to us. The chasm is too great. A chasm is simply a great wide open space between the two places, and that chasm is a division. Think of it as an earthly sinkhole. When you see these pictures in the news of these big sinkholes that just split out of nowhere, and of course, you can't walk from one side to the other. You can't jump from one side because it's too great. So that's the picture. The rich man couldn't go to paradise. The people in paradise couldn't come and help the rich man um, to, to cool his tongue because he was being tormented in this fire. Um, um, in other words, th- your eternity is set. Once you die, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed in the men once to die and then face the judgment. Once you die, the choice is made. Choose God or you choose independence from God. Independence from God, we call that hell. That's a torment. And, of course, we call being with God, we call that heaven. So this wasn't heaven that we're going to. This was the, the the place called paradise that Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When the, that thief died, he would have gone to the paradise side of that abyss. And the, the, the other thief who rejected Jesus would be in the torment side. And the torment is real, it's eternal, and it's ongoing. Now, one other thought here, Reuben, it's very important that... Um, the place called paradise or Abraham's bosom is empty. Jesus, upon dying, uh, descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he preached, according to Peter, uh, a message of victory and and released the captives. Uh, While paradise was a great place, it still wasn't heaven. So Jesus, his death completed on the cross, dying for the sins of sinful men, he was able to go to that place in paradise and set them free, and he took them with him to heaven. That place then had been prepared. So that site is empty. The place of torment, Reuben, is still full and being added to every single day. And and those who die rejecting Jesus Christ will be there until the great white throne judgment after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Good question, Ruben. Thank you very, very much for the question. Let's go to Jeff calling online, too. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Our 
Arbach. How are you doing today, my friend? <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Doing good. Sorry for stumbling on that name. I love that name. <laughs> yeah, a couple things. Um, here, here's this kind of offbeat question. Uh, you know, I I do a lot of driving for my for my tent making job, and uh, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, if there are any Christians on the road, uh, I, I've I've driven with some people that claim to be Christians, but once they get behind the wheel of a car, uh, they become you know different. And I'm just I'm I'm just wondering how how Jesus would address that. I don't know if you remember Tony Campolo. Um, yeah. yeah, I used to say you know how how to follow Jesus without becoming Amish, and. <laughs> You know, would Jesus drive a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW? I mean, what would he drive if he was here today? And I just, man, I just get so frustrated with with folks that don't see that all of our behavior is, we're responsible for all of our behavior. And if you have to be a little defensive when you drive or a little, I mean, a little offensive to get to where you want to go, uh, there's, still, there's still a way about uh, going about it. You know, Jeff, there's a, uh, I, I did a, a men's retreat years ago in Houston and um, the guy that picked me up at the airport, his name was Gene Brown. He's such a great guy, but he was driving crazy. And I said to him, I said, Gene, slow down. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Ron. My right foot is the last thing to be sanctified. Uh-huh. And, and every time, every time I get the, a comment like yours, I think about that. Gene was a great guy and a believer, but but our sin nature, I think, is never more evident than when we're behind a wheel, and uh, that's just unfortunately, um, we always find ways to to create loopholes in the laws, and it's not for us. And um, you know, I I really don't have anything to add other than as Christians. We're responsible to drive safely. We're responsibly considerate of others. And knowing all of that, it's still a hard thing to do when there's times you just feel like you're being surrounded in danger. Paul and I were on the freeway the other day, and and we had trucks all around us, and I don't drive. I felt so unsafe because we're in that position, and there's just nothing you can do about it. But... Jeff, that's just the way it is. You and Gene Brown, you got to figure it out. That's right. One more, one more question. This, is, this was really what I was wanting to get at, but that just came up. Um, in Haggai, uh, the, the prophet, um, who was, uh, I, I think he was older when he wrote the book. I know that um, he's one of the only um, prophets that actually dated some of his writings, so we have some chronology. But I'm I'm thinking about um, chapter two, um, the first like first maybe ten verses, and, and and I know it has to do with the Jews that emigrated from from their Babylonian uh, captors, and um, that they had faced opposition, correct, and and building the temple again, and it was Haggai that that really tried to encourage them. So I know the verse that we often hear is the glory of the present house is is going to be greater than the glory of the former. And I'm just wondering if you could shed some like practical application on that. 
not really quite sure, you know, if if we're talking about Jesus there and our relationship with Jesus, um, that our new creation is going to be greater than our former life, or, you know, if, if that's sort of, but I'll let you I'll let you go to town okay. on that, Pastor. Thank you. Love you. Th- thank you, Jeff. One. Thanks, Jeff. God bless. And, and Doug, if you'll wait over for the other side of the break, we'll get you uh, right at the top of the uh, of the second half hour. Um, you know, Jeff, uh, uh, you're, you're exactly right. This is uh, uh, the, referring referring the, to the to the condition of the um, exiles once they'd returned to Jerusalem, and and the work having been faced with all kinds of opposition, they were becoming discouraged. And that's why Haggai says to him, be strong, O Zerubbabel, be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat. And and then you go and talk about it. And when the Lord says that this is going to be better, what's happening is there are other people who are looking who remember, some of the really old Jews who remember what it was like um, um, with with Solomon and the glory of Solomon's temple. And in that particular case, um, God is so pleased from heaven's perspective, watching this work be done and seeing the persistence. And then he goes long term prophetically saying, don't worry, the, this house, the glory of this house is going to be even greater. And I think for us, the, the, the reminder is that it's always better when, when, when somebody who's fallen away comes back to the Lord. We don't have to worry about the old things, but, but the new splendor is always found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jeff, thank you very, very much. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word of Santa for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week, 340-9585. Let's go to Doug on line one. Doug, thank you for your patience. You are on the air. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, there's a commentary, Danielle Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google. When you hear Don Trump okay. say you Doug, can make thank a you. million We're dollars, cut you off, well, Doug. you can't. Thank you. You know, my goodness. Do you know what Doug needs to do? And this is about the 10th name that he's used. He needs to get his own radio show. Let's go to line three and talk with Ray on the phone. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Well, thanks for getting me in so quick, Pastor Ron. <laughs> I, couldn't get, I couldn't get the previous caller off fast enough, Doug or Ray. So that's what happened. That's what happened to Doug. I could feel that. Um, you know, as you started the the program uh, with the, uh, uh, I guess the sin nature. Hmm. Um. Well. <clears throat> I understand that we're born with a sin nature because Adam and Eve mm-hmm. uh, didn't, you know, do what they're supposed to. <clears throat> and I'm just wondering where did this, where did this idea of, uh, 
you know, I, I understand that nowadays, ever since they made their choice, <clears throat> um, that uh, we have a propensity to go for the unattainable, <laughs> the forbidden fruit, right? That's true. Um, um, but actually, before they made that, uh, let's just say, took the bite of the apple uh, for no better fruit to come up with, uh, well, where, where did that come from since they were not born with a, a sin nature that they were you know created by god the only ones and and the best he had done or anyway um i'm kind of i had too much time waiting <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ray, that's okay i think i know what to, you're getting trying to trying to bring it back into focus here and i had written yeah. down a couple of things but uh would would it have would have uh Come by virtue of the freedom of choice that we had, uh, you know, as as yeah. Adam and Eve, for instance, you know, and and the the both sides of the coin, you know, uh, on the one hand or the other, and uh, we understand, you know, about Satan wanting to be, you know, God worshipped instead of, you know, doing. Right, and so that that was that was what was puzzling me, you know. That okay, God, I can God get that right. Thank them. you, thank you very much. Hey, a couple of things. Um, you know, when when Satan and uh, I feel this is my very strongly held opinion. When when God created man and saw how magnificent mankind was, remember Satan was the most beautiful and the brightest creation of God. Of all of God's angels, he was the one, the morning star. He was the one. And God gave them a choice. Um, when when God made man, Satan decided he wasn't God's crowning glory any longer. And he targeted mankind. Now, God permitted that. In both cases, uh, God used the creation of Adam and Eve to give the angels a choice. All beings, whether they're angelic or, or human, all beings have a choice. And um, Satan fell. He, he deceived a third of the angels with him, and they rebelled against God. Now, theirs is a once-forever choice. Humans, we get an opportunity to choose as long as we're alive. So once Satan fell and he targeted Adam and Eve, he was going to do everything he could to make sure they fell. That's exactly what his motive was. He was going to do everything he could to get them to fall. And, and Adam and Eve had no knowledge of evil. And that's why the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was so important. And that's why God said, don't eat that tree, because now you know only good. If you want to know everything, including evil, well, that tree will do it. And that was exactly the tree that Satan tempted Eve to begin with to fall. Now, our sin nature, Ray, was inherited through Adam. He's the federal head. Through the first man, Adam, we all died. Through the second Adam, and of course that's a reference to Jesus Christ, then we all live. So um, that's where choice came in. And God, because we have to have a free will choice, that's why God allowed Satan to tempt Adam and Eve. 
Um, that's why that tree was put in the in the middle of the garden, and there was no other way uh, for man to have a choice. But when we made our choice, well, then we inherited that sin nature through Adam. By the way, that's why it's so important that God was the father of Jesus, and the woman, Mary, was a virgin, so the sin nature wouldn't be passed. Jesus was the only human ever born who didn't have a sin nature because he was the only one whose father, federal father, wasn't Adam. Good question, Ray. Thank you very, very much. Hey, uh, Ray reminded me of something when he called, so I'm going to share a couple of things here uh, before I go on. We'll still take your phone calls. We'd love to have them. Um, but but allow me just a couple selfish moments. Uh, this program, I love it so much because, um, you know, you, we reach a lot of people on this radio show. And uh, God gives different gifts to people. Well, uh, we had a woman named Cindy. She's a frequent caller. And she called the station uh, this week. And she said, I sure want to get back to church. I, we just haven't been able to get our vaccine yet. And uh, we're trying to so we can get back into church and those kind of things. And um, we we said, well, Cindy, we'll be praying for you. We miss you too. Well, there was another listener in California who contacted Paula right after Cindy's call. And she said, I don't know why, but God has given me the gift to sort of traverse this vaccine thing. And if she would let me do it, I can arrange, I think, for vaccinations for for um, for Cindy if she wants to. And, um, you know, when you people say the same, well, sure, go ahead and try. So we put Cindy and this other caller together. And um, Cindy let us know today that that she and her husband both got the vaccinations or may had appointments for the vaccinations because of this other listener's intervention on their behalf. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, somebody in California... And people here in Texas, and she was able, God simply just has opened doors for her to be able to do this, and she's done it for the people where she lives, but now she's done it for people in Texas as well. Um, That's one of the reasons I just love this program so much. The second thing I want to talk about briefly is more selfish. Um, Tomorrow, March 20th, 2021, will be the 51st anniversary of the day... I went to Paula's house and knocked on her door, asked her for a date, showed up, knocked on her door. She opened the door, and we fell in love. We've been together ever since. 51 years ago, tomorrow, is when it all started. One of the things I tell our church here all the time is that you never know how any day, how every day could be the start of something completely new. Our lives can be changed radically in an instant for good or for bad on any day. And there's no way Paul and I would have ever believed. It was a Friday night. Let's just go back to the day before Thursday. There was no conceivable way that I thought my life would change forever. In an instant, she opened the door. 
and two lives have changed. And now we've seen God's plan. A whole bunch of lives have been changed because of what happened 51 years ago tomorrow. That's pretty cool. Paula, I know you're listening. I love you. That was the best moment of my life, except for when we both met Jesus Christ. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving me and being patient over and over and over. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Ariana. My husband and I have been struggling with co-parenting with unbelievers, and we have very different views on what is right for raising our kids. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement for parents that deal with this? Ariana, when we get the opportunity, and we have blended families, uh, second marriages coming together, um, we address this at length in our pre-marriage counseling sessions. It's so important to understand and I wish there was a magic bullet, but there isn't. So when you're co-parenting, um, as the custodial parent, and you don't indicate whether you're the custodial parent in this situation or not, but as the custodial parent, then there's got to be some negotiation worked out with the unbelieving parents about these are the things that we insist on, these are the things that we do the way we raise our children, and then all we can do is ask them and then, of course, pray for them that they would be respectful of our wishes. Um, I think the second step is to have no expectations that an unbeliever is going to do that. Unbelievers, especially with families like this, are often resentful. Um, they, they intend to cause problems. Um, uh, there's just not much you can do. But you've got to stick to your guns. And when the children are getting ready to go spend the weekend or sometimes in the summertime spend a whole month with unbelieving parents, then before they go, you've got to talk to them. Say, this is what always happens. Your, 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 your dad or your mom, whatever the case is, they love you and they're, they're, they're doing the best they can. But remember, it's your responsibility to behave like a child of God. And that really is all you can do. So understand that this is, there's consequences to sin. And divorces happen typically because of sin. And uh, there's we got to deal with the consequences. Jesus will be there. Um, this summer we had a, a, some children come back. And because they had so much freedom at the unbelieving parents' home, they, they came back, I want to live with them. I want to live with them the full time. They're nice and you're not nice kind of thing. And as heartbreaking as it was for the parents here, um, the, the, the reality is that God intervenes and grabs hold of their hearts when they get right back in that place where um, they know that God loves them. So please, please, please um, just sort of hang in there. Remember, we want to win the unbelieving parents to Christ so that there can be that consistency. But don't expect it, Ariana, at all until that happens. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to the phone lines and talk with Cindy online. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Pastor Ron. 
I just wanted to say thank you for everybody that prayed about the COVID shot. Um, just within a matter of, I don't know, maybe under 15 hours or so, something like that, the, the prayer got answered. So I, I think God's really wanting me to get back into church. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Cindy. I just shared that on the air. I don't know if you're able to hear it or not. But, I did, and I'd been plan- oh. I was planning on calling, you know, to say a big thank you and and, and give a praise report. The um, the reason my my thing, my I don't know that it's a question, but it was just like one of my thoughts I had this morning, and I'm wondering, like, when it says we're to worship God in spirit and in truth, and then it talks about when we build, you know, if we're building our spiritual house, if we're building it on silver and gold, and and not on hay and stubble, because the hay and stubble gets burned away. But where, where this is going is that I'm thinking about that those things are actually the, like when we worship God and we're, we obey him, we do something he asks us to do. And, you know, if all that stuff accumulates into, into our spirit or is, is some type of substance, and I'm thinking that I'm wondering if all that substance of all of us obeying and worshiping and building on silver and gold, if that's what New Jerusalem is, is that the substance that New Jerusalem would be built of, you know, like, like our building stones or I don't know if this thought is getting too far into La La Land or not, but <laughs> that's kind of, kind of what, what I was thinking. So I'll, I'll listen on this on the radio for you to start okay. that out. Before you hang up, Cindy, let me, let, okay, before you hang up, <laughs> did you get the the one shot or you have to go two shots? I'm doing the two shot, but I think that's mm-hmm. probably better because it sounds like the two shot one is a little more potent than possibly the one. I don't know, but I just left it up to the Lord and he decided, because I, I originally was holding out for the one shot because, you know, I'm more of a one shot person. I, I They have to yeah. send in the dancing bears to just even give me a shot in the doctor's office. I'm so horrified of, of needles and I'm such a chicken about it. So, you know, I thought, well, yeah, just the one thing would be good, but it's turned out it's the two thing. And everybody I've seen on the TV, nobody seems to you know, be getting, you know, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't hurt very much. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, um, it'll anyways, be, it'll be good to see shot, you back just, in church. Just so happy that it's all working out. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Cindy. That's why I, I was explaining this, why I love this program. So thank you, Cindy. Let me, let me address your question. You know, um, um, in the new Jerusalem, um, the, the streets and in the new heaven, um, the streets are going to be able to go to silver. So this is all sort of metaphorical language. Um, when we worship God in spirit and truth, uh, and I'm going to be teaching tonight on the belt of truth, so watch it online, Cindy, calvarysa.com. Um, but, but there's only one way to worship God, and that's that's holding on to the truth. And when we're being obedient to the truth, then we have the power of God's spirit. So it's genuinely spiritual worship. So that's what's being said. In the New Jerusalem, as well as in the New Heaven, we won't have that issue, Cindy, at all, because our our uh, bodies will be, will, will be void of the sin nature. Our, we'll be like Jesus, although we can't appreciate or truly grasp what that means. We will be like Jesus. And um, so, so we don't have to worry about any of that. The, the, the last thing 
that will be of concern to us in the New Jerusalem is things like gold or silver. And those are just metaphors for the quality of work that we do. You know, if you're if if the, the works that we do for Jesus from First Corinthians chapter three are wood, hay, and stubble, well, then they won't stand the test of fire. But when our works are tested, when we stand before the bema seat of Christ, uh, if our works are tested and they pass the test, um, then there's going to be many, many crowns as rewards for those good works, those works that bring God honor and glory. And in large part, not only the work and the quality of the work, but the motive behind the work is going to be what's being judged and what's going to be measured by fire. Everything is going to be tested by fire, the fire of holiness. But when we pass that test and the crowns are ours, um, there's nothing that we'll have to worry about. The New Jerusalem, when we're there with Jesus, ruling and reigning from the throne of David, uh, whether it's during the millennium or beyond when there's a new Jerusalem, um, it'll be a completely redeemed earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And frankly, We don't have imaginations big enough to be able to understand it. Cindy, thank you for that. I'm so grateful to God that you were able to get your shot. Thank you very much. Randy says, Pastor Ron, what would you say to a young man who wants to serve God full time but isn't sure he is called by God to do so? Randy, we're all called by God to do so. Now, by full-time, I understand you mean out of the secular world and into um, a a life of ministry, life of of devotion full-time. I I get that. But the only way to find out is to give God everything you have now, where you are, whatever it is you're doing. I always say that God promotes from within. So when you're faithful with what you've got and the opportunities you've got, then God will increase those opportunities. I also want to say this, Randy. Um, I think we can be pretty certain it's not Satan calling you to serve God full time. This is a godly, biblical desire of your heart. And so what I would say is, is offer your body, Romans 12 one, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God right now. Um, not knowing what you mean by full-time ministry um, still requires you to um, dig in to really, really fall in love with your Bible, devour it, learn more about who he is. Every day, be with Jesus. Every day, surrender more of your flesh to him. Be like Isaiah. Who who shall we send for us? Isaiah said, I'll, I'll go. Would Randy just be that man that says, God, I'll go. And then back it up with the faith to be obedient. That's all. Don't, don't argue too much within yourself about whether or not this is a calling from God. It has to be. So here's what you do. You wait for God to open that door, but you start serving him now where you are. When I was called, Randy, to be a pastor, I was only six months old in the Lord. Uh, it was shortly after that that he, he, he instructed me to go to Bible college. Um, there was some miraculous door opening there. Um, but, but I knew that um, to go to Bible college, God wanted me to finish Bible college. And so I was faithful at Bible college. 
um, worked hard, uh, did the best that I could. Uh, and when we graduated from Bible college, I knew then that, that we were to come to Texas. But the idea is you will never know for sure what you're called to do later if you're not being faithful with what you're doing right now. Randy, that is such an important concept. We always think, well, well, if God opens the door. No, these are doors that we, we break down. And when I say break down, I don't mean with impatience. I just mean, okay, God, I'm going to serve you where I am. I'm going to get to church. I'm going to be involved in church. I'm going to serve my neighbors. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to devour your word. Um, you're faithful in those things. And as you begin changing from the inside out, God will lead you and guide you into whatever he has for the future. So don't worry so much about the future as much as you worry about, am I being faithful right now, today? And again, Randy, this isn't the devil telling you to do this. So pretty much this is the Holy Spirit, and you need to step out by faith in obedience and every day offer your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Well, we have time for one more question this week, Judy says, how long should you keep praying for something when an answer doesn't come? Should we just accept that it is not God's will? Judy, prayer is such a um, mysterious thing. We don't know why prayer moves the heart of God who knows everything. Um, we know we pray because we're told to. We know we pray because as we spend more time with the Lord, we become more like him. It's a wonderful thing that the the God, big G or little g God that you spend the most time with is the one that you're going to be like. And so if you spend a lot of time talking to Jesus, you're going to be just like Jesus. Um, but but Jesus told a parable of the persistent widow. And the, and the whole point of the parable, Jesus told them this so that they would know that they should pray always and not give up. Judy Paula, as you may know, if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, prayed for me for 13 years. And there was no point in those 13 years until the very end when it looked like those prayers were going to get answered with a, with a, a yes. But Paula kept praying. She didn't give up. And I think sometimes it takes God a long time to answer prayers because, one, as we are praying for a long time, he's examining our heart and he wants us to do the same. You know, we can be praying with the wrong motives. Certainly that was the case with Paula for a time. But the idea here is that the more we keep praying, the more like Jesus we become and he starts to transform our heart and get us that place where we can. The other thing I think he's doing sometimes when he delays an answer to prayer is I think he's testing our resolve. And if you really want something from God and it's something in his will, we, we realize that to, for prayer to be answered it has to be according to God's will. But if we really want it, we're not going to give up praying after a few days or a few weeks. 13 years Paula prayed for me. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Have a wonderful weekend at church. Find somebody to pray for there. Find those divine appointments. And may God bless you and keep you. This has been The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back on Monday, Lord willing. See you then. <laughs> 